Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Seasons greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am JP Motor. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great, why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. JP, how you doing today, man? Man, I am doing fantastic. Okay, guys. So we're wrapping up 70s month in the grandest of fashions. Truly. This is a fun one, as we literally just did the interview like five minutes ago. Yeah. And we're like, okay, let's lay down this episode right now. Yeah. We're so hyped from it. Um, we're with the artist who wrote, played guitar, and sang this 1972 smash hit. Rob, yep. tell them what name the sailors say more than any <laughs> and what song we're talking about. Yeah, just go for it. This is Brandy, You're a Fine Girl by Looking Glass. It just healed the world. On a western bay, and it serves a hundred ships a day. Lonely sailors pass the time away and talk about their homes. And there's a girl in this harbor town, and she works laying whiskey down. They say, Brandy, fetch another round. She serves them whiskey and wine. The sailors say, Brandy, you're a fine girl. What a good wife you would be. Yeah. Drum hit. Wow. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. That's amazing. One of the greatest songs of the 70s. That is Brandy, parentheses. There it is. You're a fine girl. I feel like we need a sound effect for parentheses. <laughs> we do songs with them so often. That's by Looking Glass from the 1972 album, Looking Glass, written by our guest today, Elliot Lurie of Looking Glass. It went to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 where it was locked in a multiple-week battle with Alone Again, parentheses, naturally, oh, man. by Gilbert O'Sullivan Gilbert. for the top spot. Brandy sat at number two for several weeks behind Gilbert before peaking at number one, only to fall back to number two the following week. Swip-swapping? Swip-swapping. Absolutely. Swip-swiding away. Little Paul <laughs> Simon. It went to also number one on the U.S. Cashbox chart, number seven on the Easy Listening chart, uh, which is a uh, one of my personal favorite charts. But one, honestly, I, have, I don't think we've really seen that we before. We don't talk much listening. about Easy Listening charts. Based on the stuff we carry, we don't have a lot of Easy Listening, I yeah, don't know, I guess. Maybe. I, I, I think... It, my understanding is that the easy listening chart basically transitioned into like a soft AC, okay, um, you know, category. So I, first, I recall seeing the easy listening actual chart. Soft AC is actually the fan setting that I have. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right. uh, okay, let's see. This also went to number one in Canada. Uh, number 10 in Australia, both of which had it in their top 100 for the year as well. It was the number 12 U.S. song for all of 1972. It is certified gold in the U.S. and certified silver in the U.K. Um, and it wasn't actually the single. It was actually the B-side. Um, the original single was Don't It Make You Feel Good. Let's check it out. This is Don't It Make You Feel Good. A little more straight ahead rock. Got a head full of sugar, head full of sweet red 
Which you still, I mean, you hear that on the radio too. Yeah. That gets airplay, but it obviously did not, you know, match the thing of Brandy. And Brandy has its own feel. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's it got its own thing. Um, and it's, you know, so much about this song to love from instrumentally to vocally, you to know, the to sea. just the story, the songwriting, it's all just perfect. This song is actually the number three song of the 1970s as voted by uh, listeners of Sirius XM radio. Wow. Okay. That's big. And, so, that's, and that's big. Right. That's the, so they have the seventies on seven mm-hmm. channel, you know, on Sirius XM and um, the listeners of that channel voted on the best songs of the 70s you have that list i have that list all right i'm gonna go through all 1000 number 1000 <laughs> number 1000 uh, uh i wonder what Dude, actually i, I should have thrown something out yeah. and, but i, I don't want to like i don't want to insult somebody right but also i mean how many there was a lot of songs in the good. 70s you know yeah. so yeah anyway but i should have at least looked up what number 1000 was for the joke um all right number 10 is take me home country roads ah, by john, john denver, denver. 1971 Number nine, this is surprising to me, I, I guess. Number number nine is Band on the Run. McCartney and yeah. Wings. How McCartney about that? McCartney and Wings, 74. That's it. You think it would be lower? You think it? Yeah, I would, I, yeah the top 10 surprises me for Band no, on I the Run. I think that's in. That's good. Yeah. yeah. What year was Baby I'm Amazed? I mean, maybe I'm amazed. Um, that was like 1970, 71. I would have figured it would have been higher than Band on the Run. But I guess I don't know. sometimes maybe I underestimate Wings a little bit. Yep. Um, number eight would be, now This these next two being in the order that they are is surprising to me. Okay. okay. Number eight is Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay. You okay. thought it would be like number two or three? I, I would put that, yeah, I would mm-hmm. think easy top five, right? But considering that number seven is Joy to the World by Three Dog Night. Holy cow, that's crazy to think that Three Dog Night... Well, let's go listeners. like yeah. Because if you were to ask more modern listeners now who don't listen to 70s on 7, uh-huh. if you just say classic rock songs, yeah. you know that would probably... Definitely Bohemian Rhapsody would rank higher because yeah. of its recency bias. Yeah. But, I mean, I can... But, three but dog is, night. You're talking to listeners primarily, probably who who lived through both of these That's in true. their era. That's true. You know, yeah. so like uh, that's surprising to me. Very surprising. Um, number six would be "Staying Alive" by the Bee Gees. Okay, 1977. That's probably the latest one on the list. Oh, other than number three, number four, uh, number five, five. is going to be "Bridge Over Troubled Water" by Simon okay. and Garfunkel, 1970. I wondered which Simon and Garfunkel song would be the highest. That's like, I figured they would make the list. Yeah, but I didn't know if it'd be Mrs. Robinson or yeah. Boxer. Or that that, that makes sense. Now though. I do kind of want to look look up the rest of uh-huh. this list. You know, did I say want to? What did I just say? Want to could have look it <laughs> look it up, buddy. Now I do kind of want to look up this list. There and we just go. Breeze through the rest of it. Uh, let's just do an episode of us just talking through the thousand songs of the seventies. <laughs> Maybe we could break it up. On a, we could do a whole season That's of right of the top 70s. thousand songs of the seventies, and we just go through them like whatever fifty at a time. Okay, number four. Number four would be Hotel California. Okay, by Eagles. Number. Three Three is Brandy, You're a Fine Girl Man, by Looking Glass. How's that on your resume? Yeah, we're one higher than Hotel California. Right. That's all you got to say. Yeah, no kidding. Yes. Um, you know where Hotel California ranks in listener appreciation? <laughs> we're just one better. Yeah, that's right. Number three is Brandy. Number one. Two. I'm going to guess. I'm going to I'm gonna assume you can guess number one. Uh, okay. Do you want to guess no. number one? Uh, we've covered it. Uh, no. Number one song in the 70s, 1971. That'd be American Pie by okay. Don McLean. Makes sense. Given that, do you want to guess sh- number two? No. Have we covered it? We have not exactly covered it. We've covered the group. Okay. Beatles something again? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, let's go, I mean. Beatles hey, songs of the 70s, so it's got to be oh, man, it's newer a, particular, Beatles. a particular couple of, your, your choices are limited. 
I don't know. Help me with it. That'd be let it be. Okay. That's let good, it yeah. be McCartney making that top 10 list two times. So that's sweet to, to be like, yeah. Yeah. Number three I'm sandwiched song. between the Beatles and Eagles. That's right. That's right. Between let it be and hotel California rests Brandy and she's a fine girl. Let's get into a little analysis. Okay. We are in the key of E here uh, at 125 BPM. And uh, I'm going to do something that I don't normally do, and that is do a little analysis of the lyrics. Okay. Because- That's the last thing Rob listens to. It's the last thing I listen to. But these lyrics are gorgeous. They're like downright poetic. So I'm just going to kind of read through them a little bit, okay? Do it. There's a port on a Western Bay, and it serves 100 ships a day. Lonely sailors pass the time away and talk about their homes. And there's a girl in this harbor town, and she works laying whiskey down. They say, Brandy, fetch another round. She serves them whiskey and wine chorus if you pause right there and just picture james earl jones reading that over a slow (laughs) string pad it's a completely different beautifulness and she serves them whiskey and wine there's no way i could even shouldn't have even tried it that's all right thanks for playing i I feel like i could almost kind of do gather his accent the Uh the the manner of his speaking but there's no way he could even get close um i'll have to pitch it down in post Uh, okay, the sailors say, Brandy, you're a fine girl. What a good wife you would be. L- this, listen to this line, because it, this one only happens in the first chorus. Yeah, your eyes could steal a sailor from the sea. Come on. That's yeah. that's freaking <laughs> Wadsworth, Longfellow, <laughs> Shakespeare, you know? Um, Beecher Stowe. Yeah, that's right. It's some Harriet Beecher Stowe action right there. Um, Brandy wears a braided chain made of finest silver from the north of Spain, a locket that bears the name of the man that Brandy loved. He came on a summer's day bringing gifts from far away, but he made it clear he couldn't stay. No harbor was his home. And then et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, the, 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 seriously, the lyrics to this are just beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it really is a, a beautifully told story that is, you know, the story itself is interesting, but then the way the lyrics bring it all together is just really gorgeous, you know? Um, and, you know, coming from me, I oh, really man. mean that. He actually like, listened to them. to <laughs> listen and then sat down and read them. That's, right. that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, all right. Musically, there's a lot of chord movement going on here. Like, if you listen into the verses, uh, they, they pull something off here that's hard because it's... It's really very busy. There's a lot going on, but they make it feel really breezy. Like it never feels busy. It never feels overdone or that anybody's doing too much. But listen to this verse again, especially to the chord movement itself. There's a chord on a western bay and it serves a hundred ships a day. Like listen to what the, the sailors pass the time away and talk Listen to the bass and the keys. And where, how are their moving is? In this harbor town, and she works laying whiskey down. Right, there's three notes there. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Do do do, and all carrying kind of different chord information. You know, there's a there's it's like um, you know, it's like it's like watching a duck on a pond almost. Like you know, the song is the duck, but the bass and the keys are these legs underneath the water, kind of like you know. Whatever. Or seagulls, as it were, even. Look at that. Wow. <laughs> Look at that, he said. <laughs> um, but it's very comfortable. It's not frantic at yeah. all, you know. Uh, the BGVs, of course, on Absolutely. this song are incredible. They're They're the icing on a, on a perfectly baked cake. That's good. You know, like the song doesn't need them, but also you can't imagine the song without them. Yeah. You know? Uh, the drum hits 
on on the choruses and the drum hits over the doo-doos that don't ex- they don't exactly match the doo-doo rhythm uh but they they like complement everything let's hit let's hear that again that little extra kick there boy I just love the 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 drum stuff on the air is is so good, um, and those drums sound like it's funny. Like they don't, it, they're not like amazing sounding drums. No, they sound cheap, right? They, I mean that in a good way. Like they, yeah. there's not a lot of. It's just no. It's here's a drum set. They sound right cheap. Yeah, you know, like yeah. yeah. It's it's not like they don't sound like you went through and meticulously mic'd every single uh-huh. tom yeah. with a couple of overheads. It's and a, 72, so there's no triggers. Yeah, like you're yeah, not. yeah, yeah. Right. They weren't like uh, re-triggered, you uh-huh. know, like you would do now or MIDI, you know, MIDI. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, snare top, snare bottom, kick in, kick out yeah. microphones. It's like, there's probably two mics on those drums. Here's an overhead yeah. and something between the bass and the snare. Exactly, <laughs> yes, exactly. Which is exactly how I used to record drums at my house yeah. when I had a four-track tape. Uh, it was like, two mics, are you fancy, that, you know, all these drums. That's right. Yeah. Do you really need the overhead? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, let's see, great dynamics, too, coming from the bridge into the third verse. Like, the bridge builds and builds and builds, and then you get way, way, way down for the third verse. Check it out. This is the bridge. We're just building levels, levels, levels. That's good every time. Good every time. Oh, good. I also love that line about like he was an always always an honest man. You know what I mean? He always he always told the truth. Like, listen, here's a great another another great line. Yeah, Brandy used to watch his eyes when he told his sailor stories. She could feel the ocean fall and rise. She saw its raging glory. But he had always told the truth. Lord, he was an honest man, and Brandy does her best to understand. Come on. Yeah. Like poetry. Elliot, Elliot come on. Goodness gracious. Jeez Louise. We're man. hanging out with that guy later. Cowboy, take me away. <laughs> you know? Jeez. Um, okay. Uh why well, I think I feel like now's a good time to meet the band. Let's Shall meet we meet him? him? Let's meet him. Hey, let's meet the man. It's time to meet the man. Hey mama, let's meet the man. Let's all meet the Right, guys, we're going to meet the band of Looking Glass that played on Brandy um, on keyboards and some vocals. Everybody, we're going to say, and some vocals, because yeah. those background <laughs> vocals are, are everything. Larry Gonski, um, he's now a music teacher at Frailing Houston Middle School. He sounds like a music teacher. He does. He said he was shocked to hear everyone in his class talking about his song in Guardians of the Galaxy. So everybody <laughs> came in from class, and they're like, hey, your song's on uh, this movie. Yeah. I read a cool article with him that he said he always wanted to be the teacher that he never had. Nice okay. job, Larry. Good job. All right. You can go be that guy. Um, on bass, uh, vocals, of course, Peter Swevel. Um, after Looking Glass, he was a band called Stars in 1977. They're as classic rock as classic rock gets. They had a song called Cherry Baby that I sadly wasn't familiar with, but it rocks, and it was a pretty big chart topper. Um, Cherry Baby, not Sherry Baby. Yeah, 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 sure. I, 
they supposedly were inspirations for Motley Crue and Poison, but they're in no way glam. So okay. I highly doubt this. There's like they're rock. They sound more like a, just a good classic classic rock band. If you listen to them, they sound so much like the Petra era that I like. Okay. So he passed away in 1990, but not before submitting his place in rock history with Looking Glass. So nice job, Peter, on that. On the way it's it's listed in the liner notes, I think is great on Drum Kit. Not on drums, on drum kit, kit, of course. Uh, Jeff Grob, he also played in the aforementioned Stars and Looking Glass and nothing else after that. Okay. Um, Larry Fallon on some horns arrangement, um, composed with Van Morrison and Rolling Stones. He did Gimme Shelter, which I think is the Rolling Stones track we were trying to think of the other day. It was, for sure, Gimme Shelter, yeah. Um, And then Elliot, who we're hanging out with um, at the end. You guys are, everybody likes him. He's awesome. Dope. Dope stuff. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the story of Mary Ellis, because while it is uh, rumored to have been part of this song's history, it turns out that it is not. But I want to talk about it because it's part of the like urban legend of this sure, song. Let's hear it. So it's been said that Brandy's story could be based on the story of a New Jersey woman named Mary Ellis, who died in 1828. According to oral tradition, this is from Wikipedia, she was seduced by a sea captain who vowed to return to marry her. He never returned, and she would come to the spot where her grave now stands each day to look for his ship in the Raritan River in New Brunswick. However, this is my words now, however, the band denies any connection to the Mary Ellis story, despite their formation in New Brunswick, and the Mary Ellis story probably isn't real anyway. Mary was real. She was an activist, a suffragette, um, and the idea that she would sit around forever waiting for a man seems very implausible. Yeah. Uh, but there is an interesting history in the story of Mary Ellis all the same, and her grave stands alone in the parking lot of an AMC theater in New Brunswick. Really? So there's like this theater, there's, and then there's a theater, random, and then in the middle of the parking lot, there's like a a little patch of grass with a. Uh, it's got to be. Mo- it's like fenced off, off or yeah, something. It's, it's got like, a little, you know, like a wrought iron kind of fence, yeah. s- small, not high, and then the grave of Mary Ellis. I can't and imagine the dis- the amount of disrespect that would happen in a movie theater. Park parking lot yeah around a grass. Right, yeah. yeah that seems like an yeah absolutely but anyway it's there um and so she's you know she's got an interesting story if you want to know more we'll let you look that up or find it on some other podcast we talk about music around <laughs> these parts right. sometimes music music like music that's in movies like guardians of the galaxy volume two <laughs> let's go. talk about movies for a minute let's do it. um so this song is a huge part of guardians of the galaxy volume two like I, I watched it again you know while i was doing my research and um it, it is such a central part. It's not like, you know, okay, first of all, it plays during the opening scene. Mm-hmm. The, the very first thing that you hear is this song um, and where Star-Lord's father and mother, spoiler alert, are driving uh, through the countryside and his mom is singing along. And it turns out, big spoiler alert, that it's a major metaphoric motivation for Peter's father that a man leaves a great love for what he perceives as a higher purpose. There's a whole scene built around it later in the movie uh, and Ego, who is Quill's father, even quotes the song at like the pivotal moment in the film, you know, and he also whistles it while he pees in the woods. Um, but it's, it's all throughout. I mean, it's completely woven into the DNA of, you know, that movie. Um, and of course we're going to talk, uh, you know, about it to Elliot, uh, here in just a few minutes and he's got some stories about it as well. But, uh, you know, just like a, it's, it's like a next level. It's even more important. Dare I say now this, I almost, I almost stop. 
But I think this is even more important to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 than Eye of the Tiger is to Rocky 3. Whoa. Oh, no, I, that's sacrilege. I mean, that's not on sacred. That's sacred ground. It's kind of hard. Yeah. You got to be careful with that. That's what I'm saying. I hesitate. Ugh. But if you think about the story element, like Eye of the Tiger is not a story. It is yeah. a story element. He's, I mean, he's, you had the eye of the tiger, yeah, man. Yeah. But beyond that, though, no, yeah, you know is. what I mean? He has a tiger on his jacket and two. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah. It's, I just, what do you guys think? You guys let us know, okay? Which song is more intrinsically important uh, to its movie? You can call it a tie if you want to. Okay, yeah. You, you don't have to put one up. But man, yeah, that's a, it's important. It is very important. It's central even. Uh, but I, you, you can make the argument for Rocky. That's, that's a good it's, comparison. It's that's hard a, to. It's hard to. You know, whatever. This song, Brandy (parentheses, you're a fine girl), was responsible for a couple of interesting pop culture phenomena. For one, it was largely responsible for a massive rise in the increase of the name Brandy among girls. In 1971, it was the 353rd most popular girl's name, and by 1973, it was 82nd. Wow. That's quite a leap. And of course, you're a big Barry Manilow guy. Absolutely. Uh, And so you probably know this, but you know the song Mandy, of course. Absolutely. Um, Well, it was originally called, you want to tell us? I would go with Brandy. It was originally called Brandy. That's right. And it was released by Scott English in 1971 with the title Brandy. So there is a version of uh, of Brandy whose whose words I don't actually know. I only know the Simpsons version uh, that Homer sang. Oh, Margie, you came and you found me a turkey on my vacation away from work. That's the only version I actually know. So couldn't sing the words to me. Without taking. Thank you. We sent you away, oh Mandy. Yeah, beautiful. Will you kiss me and stop me from shaking? Uh-huh. How I need you today, oh Mandy, oh, or Mandy. Brandy, or Candy, or Randy, or whichever. Name you're <laughs> That's right. Okay. Um, and let's see here. It is also that would be Brandy. Parentheses, you're a fine girl. Uh, also, the partial inspiration for the Kiss song "Hard Luck Woman." Okay. Now, see if you can hear what the other inspiration would be. First of all, if I just said identify that song, what would you say? Would you say that's Hard Luck Woman by Kiss? No, I would No, what would you say it is? I, I should know it, but play it again. Here it is again from the top. I don't know. No. Would you not say that's some version of Maggie May by Rod Stewart? Oh, it could be, yeah. If never I met you. His vocal delivery even sounds like freaking Maggie Mae. Yeah. So if you'd have let me hear that, yeah, I would have. So come on. Paul Stanley wrote this for Rod Stewart. Okay. He wrote it to pitch it to Rod Stewart. Yeah. And then Rod passed on it. Or no, I think it's not that Rod passed on it. I think they liked it so much. Oh, and Beth had become a hit. Okay. Was- so they so they decided to, you know, let's do something a little softer mm-hmm. again. And they decided to record it themselves. So, but it's obviously very, very, very Rod Stewart. Yeah. But also uh, partially inspired by Looking Brandy. Nice. Let's talk a little Looking Glass, uh, the band and the album. They were signed by the legendary Clive Davis to Epic Records, which was a subsidiary of Columbia, uh, of which he was the president at the time. They had another top 40 song with Jimmy Loves Marianne in 1973, which I know is one of your favorites of theirs. 
And um, the Looking Glass album, of which this was a part, went to number 113 on the Billboard Top 200 and went to number 56 in Australia. Um, you would think with a, char- a song that charted as high that the album would have charted higher. Yeah, it's true. With, without, you know, pivotal. Maybe they were selling singles. Maybe everybody was buying the, the 45. Maybe so. And honestly, I need to look up and see uh, where the where this song landed on the Billboard All Time 600. Because you would think, surely, this is on the Billboard, right? One would think so. It, it wasn't listed in my research, but I, you got to imagine, right? That some somewhere it's, it's in there. I'm going to, as we're like continuing to go, I'm going to go ahead and look that up. Um... Looking Glass, after Elliot left to go solo, changed their name to Fallen Angels. Uh, actually, what my notes say is Fallen Angles, but surely that's wrong. It's got to be Fallen Angels. <laughs> was that a spelling effort? I think or? that was a, like a, yeah, some sort of typo. And then... It's all right. I did a desert trivia the other day, and it was supposed to be dessert trivia. There you go. Um, and then, so what my notes say... And I don't know if this is the way that my research read. I don't think I, I like copy and pasted this. I think I must have rephrased it. So I wonder if I read this wrong or if this is actually how it happened. Because now what it says is they changed their name to Fallen Angels and later changed their name again to Stars. As, oh, as though well, we talked about stars, right? So as though basically the the band iteration just sort of became stars okay. after a while after okay. Elliot left, which makes more yeah, sense probably based on the fact that two thirds of the remaining parties did such right so uh, that's sort of a, maybe a little bit of a, a gray area as far as what we can verify mm-hmm. but that seems likely enough um and according to wikipedia elliot lurie reformed the group in 2003 uh with uh, new musicians um okay i know you have some stump the genius yeah, and then i have it. some some covers to talk about all right let's stump it stump the genius stump the genius I said your part. All right, we're going to play Stump the Genius uh, Brandy Edition. So brandy is a liquor that comes from distilling wine. Correct. Okay, with that in mind, I'm going to play some songs with a type of liquor in the title. Okay. Um, and okay. I'm going to have you name the artist that has this type of liquor. But to make it easier, because there's a lot, I'm going to give you the five artists before. So if you want to list these five artists okay. down, and then you're just going to have to tell me that one is so-and-so. We did this before, okay. yeah. I think, actually last week. With the uh, nitty-gritty. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. with, with Name That Banjo. Okay. Um, so these songs all have liquor in the title. Okay. Um, and one of them is going to be, here, let me just, let me, one of them is going to be Snoop. Okay. One of them is going to be Tracy Bird. Okay. Kenny Chesney. Okay. Chris Stapleton. Okay. Ray Stevens. I think, hold on. I think I might be able to name you the songs without you playing them. Whoa. All of these? I have. That's going to be freaking amazing. Okay, this would be an added wrinkle. Let's list the ones that you think, and then you can check it. Okay. All right. All right. Snoop is going to be gin and juice. Snoop is going to be gin and juice. Anyway. Okay. Play a little bit of it. Play the clip. Yeah, let me get ahead to the, uh, let me get into it. We might have to edit it some, but. Man, that bass oh, still dude, hits so, so high. good. I fucking love this song. Just... The little high key part. With so much drama in the LBC, it's kind of hard being Snoop Deal Double G's. Somehow, some way, keep coming up with. Like every single day, may I. 
kick a little something for the G's and make a few ends as I breeze through two in the morning and the party's still jumping because my mama ain't hum. All I right. got in the living room, get it on, and they ain't leaving till six in the morning. That's what you want to do. Okay, yeah, anyway, okay, so right. he's one for one on that. Nicely okay. done. Um, Stapleton is going to be Tennessee whiskey. Stapleton is going to be Tennessee whiskey. Look at that. Okay. Amazing leader. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, that's enough to know that you're in it. That's yeah. good stuff. Two of them. Okay. If you get these three. So here's the thing. When you said Tracy Bird, I You thought Tracy went, Lawrence. No. <laughs> I, but I immediately went Watermelon Crawl. Okay. But that doesn't have liquor in the title. Um, and was that him? Was that Tracy Bird? If you drink, don't drive to the watermelon crawl. I think it was Tracy Bird, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Uh, let's see. I can look it up probably faster than you It's can. Tracy Bird. You're right. Okay. Good, good so job. that, because I was thinking, because that song is about getting drunk, right? It's it's about, yeah. but um, man. Well, okay. then you'll have three. I can play. Do you know okay. What, yeah. Play me the other three. Do you know the Ray Stevens one? Um, and see, I would think immediately I went, I should know. Ray Stevens. Well, I know two, all kinds of Ray Stevens. So basically, you're just playing. I just got to identify the voice. You just got to identify the voice. Yeah. Ooh, maybe I should stop it before the voice hits. You should try it. You okay. should try it because I'll definitely know the, the voice. Okay, should I tell you the name of the song? Yeah, tell me the name okay. of the song. That's you and Tequila. Okay. I think that's probably Kenny Chesney. Here we go. Here's the next one. That's Tracy Bird. That is freaking Tracy yeah. Bird. Yeah. Ring your bell. Yeah. That's freaking. That's 10 rounds with Jose Cuervo. Okay. 10 okay. rounds with Jose Cuervo. Okay. Okay. And you already got that other one with Kenny Chesney. Yeah, Kenny you're Chesney. right. That's you and Tequila drive me crazy. And Tracy Bird. I mean, and so uh, here's your Ray Stevens, Stevens one. Here's your Ray Stevens one. Jack Daniels, you lied to me again. Oh, okay. I don't know this one. Well, this is go. not in my, in my collection. And Rob is a Ray fan. So yeah. I'm going to give you five for five because you okay. did it. I did it. That's on one for the road, Ray Stevens. So okay. nicely done. So to give the yeah. rundown, Kenny Chesney, you and Tequila Drive Me Crazy, Chris Stapleton, Tennessee Whistley, Swissley, Tennessee Whistley, Snoop, Jen and Juice, Tracy Bird, 10 Rounds with Jose Cuervo, Ray Stevens, Jack Daniels, You Lied to Me Again. Let's do it. There you go. So another Ray Stevens song that doesn't have alcohol in the title, but I, th- I was thinking maybe this is where my brain was taking me. It's called Happy Hour is the Saddest Time of the Day. Okay. And it's a hilarious song about basically this couple that um, basically bonded at happy hour and their and their thing was getting drunk together. Okay. Um, and then she sobers up and they break up uh-huh. because they can't drink together yeah. anymore. And now happy hour is the saddest time of the day. Oh, man. And he, he that's, sings, a, that's a great, great It's br- It's brilliantly done. Like, it's funny. It's very funny. Uh-huh. But it's also just brilliantly written. I don't know if he wrote it or if somebody else wrote it. But he, he sings the whole... Um, he sings the whole song like staggering drunk. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like he sounded, we used to get hammered every afternoon at five. You know, it's like uh-huh. that. It's like, you know, one of those like really character study type songs. Ray does character stuff? Really? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. If y'all want to go hear us talk with him, go back to a couple seasons prior. Yeah. Just hang out with Ray Stevens. Ray Stevens. It's still, it's still kind of a pinch me thing to be like, we had Ray Stevens no, on our podcast. Yeah, we did. <laughs> like, you know? Okay, I got a, a little bit on covers, okay. unless you have more information no, that we good. need to. I only to, wrote down to. two, three covers. Okay. Red Hot Chili Peppers, Kenny Chesney, ironically again. That's right. And Big Head Todd. Okay, so Red Hot Chili Let's listen to a little bit of the of the Red Hot Chili Peppers version, because I was so interested. I was like, that doesn't make sense. How did and they then I was cover like, that? But it kind of exactly makes sense, actually. 
It's live in Hyde Park. Hyde Park. It makes great sense. Perfect. I, it works. Nah, it's that just works. I yeah, I would have named fifty bands before yeah. I got to them of thinking who might you mm-hmm. know do a cover of this. Remember when but Dave it, Navarro was in the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Yeah, that mm. was that was kind of my Chili Peppers. Yeah, like I, I was, you know, the of course Frusciante, the early stuff mm. under the bridge and that kind of stuff, but like. When I was listening to the Chili Peppers, really, that was my Dave yeah. Navarro was it's like a aeroplane and, you know, that stuff. Uh, what was the one? Uh, my friends are so depressed from Coneheads. Yeah. That song. No, that's not from Coneheads. That's not from Coneheads. No, the Coneheads was the did the dong the Right. The best like nonsense uh, ad lib ever. forget it. Never. That one. Where is it? Anthony, thanks for stopping by. Yeah, hey, thanks for stopping by, Anthony Kiedis. Uh Where I go, I just don't know. Whatever that song is called, I can't think of what it's called. Um, but I got a bad disease. disease. What is that song called? Anyway, y'all know what I'm talking about. Listen to just the bass and drums on that song, dude. Their their kick pattern is so meticulous and so locked in. Like it is a thing of beauty that that song is. Um, but then they had the other one. Anyway, all that Dave Navarro stuff. <laughs> My favorite Anthony Kiedis thing, since we've never done a Chili Peppers episode yet. Kind of. We, we did Higher Ground. We did Higher we'll Ground. Go back, we'll, we'll do a, a full-fledged Yeah, we fully Peppers. glossed over the Chili Peppers version. Um, but I remember so vividly one time when um, TLC's Waterfalls was huge, okay? Blew up. They, uh, the MTV, I think it was that had to be the Video Music Awards, okay? Everybody's showing up to the Video Music Awards, and they're doing like red carpet stuff beforehand, you know. And Kurt Loder from MTV uh-huh. is interviewing everybody, you know. And um, Red Hot Chili Peppers is walking by, and they, you know, they stop to talk to Kurt, and he's like, um, I think it was Kurt and he's like, Hey, I'm, Hey everybody, I'm here with TLC, you know, whatever. And they laugh and then Keita starts singing, don't go chasing waterfalls. And then he goes, please stick to the rivers and the lakes that you know. And I'm like, Oh, you're so close. Fail. Like props for props for knowing the song props for being, but come on, man. It's the two used to come on. Know the, know the lyrics, bro. Um, but anyway, I thought that was great. Okay. I do have a question. I can see Flea doing the rap. Rainbow sure. yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Naked. Except <laughs> so they're dancing on a, a rock. Wearing a sock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, this is one of my favorite side roads in a long time. That's good. Um, okay, but I do have yet another. It's not a side road exactly, but is it's it about qu- cone heads. It's a question. It's about red hot chili okay. peppers uh, and Kenny Chesney. So Kenny Chesney has has a uh, a, a cover version of Brandy uh-huh. also. Um, and I, so in listing cover versions, you kind of want to list like the most well-known artist uh-huh. first, yeah. right? I didn't know who to list first. Oh, Chili Peppers about equal or Chesney on their, yeah, on their evil, play, even playing field. Yeah. Like, who, who do you think overall is a bigger artist? Chesney or Chili Peppers? Different people are going to be passionate about either side. Like, yeah. I can't even believe this is a conversation. It's obviously the Chili Peppers. And right. some people are going to be like, are we even putting the Chili Peppers in the same conversation with Kenny Chesney? Yes. I doubt anybody's going to be like, Big Head Todd, come on. Right. But, yeah, you're right on that. It's like, it, it, it's like it, it almost comes down to which genre 
has the bigger reach, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and, and because uh, Chili Peppers have crossed over from like a heavier rock into a more mainstream sound, mm-hmm. and Chesney has crossed over from country into the like trop rock uh, Margaritaville sound. You know what I mean? Yeah. If so like, like in, both in the Kanye Taylor debate, it's like, who's the bigger artist in this thing? Yeah. Like when they get in a, like some people are gonna be like, it's obviously Taylor Swift. Right. And some people are gonna be like, it's obviously Kanye West. Right. So it's yeah. Yeah. But I love it's that. Obviously, That's good. It's, it's Taylor Swift. For oh, sure. come on. Um, okay. So y'all let us know who, who is the bigger artist. If you said, if you, if, if we, if we gave you five artists and obviously the biggest two of the five are Kenny Chesney and Chili Peppers, how you ranking them? Mm-hmm. Let us know. Some of the uh, not favorite. Who's the biggest? That's right. He's the biggest. Uh, unbiased. Who's the biggest? Just yeah. Uh, Ray Conniff uh, also covered the song. Ray Conniff, who was moving fast in 1972, covering Brandy on his 1972 album alone again parentheses naturally what in so the he world? was like how smart is that guy yeah he's it's like i'm gonna capitalize on both of them <laughs> what's well, on the absolute top of the charts i'm covering those right now not even giving them time to fall off the charts you're gonna be confused as to who does these songs and one other cover that i want to mention before we move along and that would be it's not exactly a cover you can't call it a cover it's not a cover okay but it's like a sequel Okay. okay, let's call it a sequel. Uh, this is Same Old 45 by Sarah Borges, which kind of tells the story from Brandy's perspective. Cool song. I'll make sure you hear the chorus. The chorus kind of brings it together, but I'm hearing a little bit. This is from her album Silver City in 2005. If you didn't catch that chorus, it's, I ain't seen him since the moon was a fingernail. Great line. <laughs> Amazing line. Uh, and you know I shed a tear for him as this ship was setting sail. Sitting in my room playing the same old 45 about a girl named Brandy, the would-be sailor's bride. So it's not exactly her perspective, but it's sort of pulling a metaphor. I'm Brandy. Sure. You know what I mean? She's I'm, I'm myself and Brandy. I like that she used the sitting in my room line in there. <laughs> True. Which is a tie into another sitting Brandy. Sitting in my room, yeah. Sitting up in my room. Okay. Um, I think that's got me tapped as yeah, far let's as... talk with Elliot. All right. Let's go now and talk to Elliot Lurie of Looking Glass. Uh, but first, stop what you're doing and go to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, TikTok. Go to the one that hasn't been invented yet. Go back to Vine and follow <laughs> us on Vine at Great Song Pod. Friendster. Uh, what else we got? I don't know. MySpace. Follow us on MySpace at Great Song Pod. Put us in your top four. Um <laughs> And uh, next week yeah. we'll be talking to Tom. That's right. Next we'll be talking to, to MySpace Tom. Uh, and uh, join the Facebook group, Great Songs and the Great 
people who love them greatly. And if you want to be a producer of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash great song pod. And uh, when you throw a little support our way there, we will make you an official producer. You can go look in the show notes. Uh, we've got our producers listed there every episode. We'll also give you stuff like extended shows, ad-free episodes, bonus shows, a whole second podcast that we do on weekends called The Catch-Up with Rob and JP, uh, only available to our Patreon producers. So, you can do that now by going to patreon.com slash great song pod. Uh, and we're going to go talk to Elliot Lurie of Looking Glass, and we'll be back at the end to tuck you in. This is the Great Song Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we are here with Elliot Lurie, the writer of Brandy, parentheses, you're a fine girl. You, you guys know we love a good song Rob with parentheses, parentheses in the title. So, uh, Elliot, thank you so much for joining us today on the Great Song Podcast. It's my pleasure. Good to see you guys. Outstanding. Well, let me let me start with this. Did you have any uh, pr- prior to writing Brandy this great song about the sea that everyone knows and this this sailor who is you know can't uh, can't get involved with Brandy because he's so in love with the sea he's got duty to the sea. Did you have any like sea experience that you were writing from, or did you have a fascination with like maritime life, or was it just kind of something that came about as you were writing? Uh, absolutely no experience. Uh, the, the largest ship I was ever on before I wrote that song was the Staten Island Ferry. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. So, uh, you're not exactly master and commander at this point. Uh, no. Okay. No. Now, have you had any sense? Have you had any maritime experience since then? Uh, I played on one or two cruises and I didn't enjoy them at all. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Did you have some bouts of seasickness? Uh, no, no seasicknesses, but those those small cabins and uh, to me, to me, it was like floating around on a Vegas casino. It wasn't my thing. <laughs> sure, yeah, they can get uh, those cabins can get claustrophobic. That's for sure. Yes, afraid of, yes. If if small spaces tend to bother you, I can see that being a real problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, now I've read that the name Brandy was a play on a high school sweetheart that you had named Randy. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, the way I I wrote, and I I still do actually, is I just kind of noodle on the guitar until I find a a chord progression or something that interests me. And I just kind of, you know, free associate some nonsense lyrics until I get something. And uh, I had had a high school girlfriend named Randy, and uh, that name was coming up in what I was doing. And then when the song started to come together, I said, well, it can't be Randy because that's a name that could be either male or female. And it's about a barmaid, so let's make it brandy. Boom. Okay, all right, it works you, well. You mentioned noodling around on guitar. Um, what in, a gear question! I'm kind of a gear nut. What's your guitar workhorse of choice? Uh, I saw live in '72. It looks like you're playing some sort of maybe a Les Paul standard. What is your uh, guitar? Yeah, of back choice? then, back then in the in the old videos of the band, I'm playing a Les Paul special, but uh, unfortunately, that guitar is long gone from my possession. Um, but I wrote that song on a guitar that I still have, which is a big uh, Gibson J200 acoustic. Okay. Nice. Okay. And now um, you have released, I've seen an, a, an as-written version of Brandy um, that is just guitar and vocal. Um, and you get to hear some of that, you know, more of that beautiful um, progression, you know, in there. Can you walk us through the process of production that got the song from that original guitar vocal arrangement to the, you know, the full blown arrangement that the world knows from looking glass. Well, it was quite an adventure. Uh, First of all, when I wrote the song, 
we were living in a uh, the band. Uh, three of the four guys shared a old farmhouse up in the northwest corner of New Jersey in Huntington County. And the house had a big living room where we would rehearse and jam and, and make little demos. And there was an upright piano in that room. And I lived in the bedroom upstairs. And I had my guitar up in the bedroom and I started writing it and I had the verse down. So I went downstairs to the living room and I started noodling on the piano and I came up with the chorus chords on the piano. So I got that and I could only play the piano in the key of C and songs written in the key of E. So I would write the chorus on the piano in C and then I would run upstairs to the guitar and play the verse again until I got to the chorus. And then I would run downstairs to the piano and play, <laughs> and play the chorus. And I did that a couple of times. And then I said, idiot, just carry the guitar down to the living room. And you won't have to run up and down the stairs all the time. So, so that's the way the song was originally written. And, uh, that's great. Too bad you didn't have a capo for your piano. You could. <laughs> yeah, or you know, MIDI in those days. Yeah, I could no, be able to transpose. And, and put it in the right key, but that didn't work on an upright. But um, uh, it came together that way. That's um, awesome. But getting it, getting it from the, you know, so once I had the song written, like I say, the band uh, lived in that house. And we would rehearse there and we'd go out on weekends and play bar gigs or uh, fraternity parties. And that's how we made the rent. And we would make little demos to eventually try to bring to New York and get a record deal. Um, but uh, the song really evolved during recording. We recorded about three or four different versions of it from the demo to the final version. Um, and, uh, you know, but the band worked it up and the arrangement that you hear on the record is pretty much the arrangement that the band played live, except for the addition of the uh, the horn section on the record. Yeah, well, you've uh, you've done a lot of work with uh, with movies, like soundtracks, and for movies, you did uh, you produced the soundtrack for the John Travolta and Jamie Lee Curtis movie Perfect. So I've never seen this movie, but the <laughs> and it, it is so it is so funny because somehow on my resume on Wikipedia that film always comes up first and i've worked on like over a hundred films <laughs> and 99 of them better than the movie yeah, Perfect. Yeah, but, that, but that's the one that always that always comes up yeah that was like a whole second career for me after uh, the band broke up and i uh, tried a solo album didn't have much success i moved that to los angeles and i became what is known as a music supervisor for film and television and that's a guy who helps put the soundtracks and helps put the music together for film and television and uh i eventually got hired to be the executive in charge of music for 20th century fox and you know in that gig i did uh you know everything from home alone to die hard to uh you know tons of movies and i also worked as an independent music supervisor and as I say, there are a lot of movies, most of which were better than perfect. <laughs> yeah, even Aliens 3 and Not at the Roxbury. I mean, come on. Will Ferrell's like my favorite actor of all time. And, like, and Not at the Roxbury was super fun to work on. The, the, that was, uh, uh, there's a director named Amy Herkeling. She's most famous for having done Clueless. But she's a great director and a great lady. And uh, I worked with her on that. It was a ton of fun. That's cool. What's the, what's the process like? Let's take Night at the Roxbury, for example, of, uh, you know, are you trying to uh, place together songs that sort of fit the vibe of the movie or what, as the music supervisor, what are you, you know, what are you doing in conjunction? Yeah, you're, looking, you're looking for songs that fit the vibe of the movie. And also when I started in that business, which is in the mid 80s, uh, soundtrack albums for movies um, 
were big and uh, especially the, the studios all wanted you to do a music video because I don't know if you guys were even born back then, but back in the mid eighties, MTV used to show media sure. and they would show music videos for films uh, that were, that were basically trailers for movies. Yeah. And the studios loved this because it was basically free promotion for the movies to exactly their target audience. So, you know, one of your big jobs was to get a, a hit single that could have a hit video that was basically a, a three and a half minute musical trailer for the movie. And, um, that was that was part of the gate, but it's, you know it also was about getting the music right, uh, helping the director find a composer that they could work with. Uh, there isn't a soundtrack album; there were songs. There's a lot of you know license wrangling that you have to do to get the songs you want to get. And, uh, it's a part business job, part creative job. One of the movies that you are uh, that that the song Brandy is involved in, of course, is Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Volume Two, and it's not just like you know, it's not just on the soundtrack and it's not part of the, you know, music from and inspired by guardians of the guy. It's a kind of a central plot point to the movie. It's such a, uh, it's such a big part of the story of that film. What was the process like of, of getting involved with that? Uh, and was there, because it was so entrenched in the movie, were, were there extra conversations you had to have extra, you know, legal stuff that had to go on to be able to use the song to that degree? It was it was a great experience, and, and and I love it because you know basically in the movie, uh, Brand, the story of Brandy is sort of a metaphor for the universe. Right. So yeah. It's it's pretty pretty awesome. But um, I had seen the first movie, and it's not the kind of movie that I would normally be attracted to. But I had heard from so many people that it was really great and fun that I watched it, and it had all this great seventies music in it, and it was used so well. And actually, I was a little jealous that Brandy had not been used in the first movie. You know, I thought, wow, they could have used that. That was a big 70s song. And then about a year later, I got a message from my music publisher saying that there had been a request to use Brandy in Guardians 2. And I said, well, that's great because I loved the first one. And I'm sure this one will be at least as good. And let's put it in there. And then they send me some script pages to show me how it's being used. And that's when I, it, you know, I realized this is not just a background cue. This is like a, a part of the part of the story. This is like really in it. And of course, the price went up. But um, yeah, I better believe it. <laughs> but but besides that, it was really great. And then about six months before the movie came out, um, they sent me clips from the film showing how the song had been used in the movie. My wife and I were looking at it. And our mouths just hung up. We said, "Wow! I mean, this is this is fantastic." So I was very, very happy with it, and uh, it was really great because it opened up a whole new audience to the tune. So it was great. Yeah, it kind of you know you're talking about it, the MTV videos basically being a you know a three minute trailer for the movie. It's almost like Guardians of the Galaxy became a two hour trailer for your song. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. If it, I don't know if it was a trailer, but it certainly introduced a new audience to the film. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's pretty awesome when you've written a song and a, and a, a movie star uh, in, in a big, big movie says possibly Earth's greatest composition, right? <laughs> which is what uh, Kurt Russell's character says in one scene. So it was pretty awesome for me. Yeah, it, to kind of going in that same vein as wonderful as an adaptation it is in that what did you think did you see saul goodman as gene perform brandy on better call saul and actually butcher it in his karaoke I, scene have you seen that scene i did you know i, <laughs> I can i all the all of these kinds of film and tv uses are running past me before they grant the license i get oh, an yeah. approval okay. and uh 
my wife and I came late to the party on Breaking Bad. So we had been binging Breaking Bad when I got the request. And we knew that there was Better Call Saul, which we said we're going to dive into as soon as we're done with Breaking Bad. And uh, it did describe the scene. It said, you know, uh, Saul loses a bet. And as a result of it, he has to sing Brandy, which he does poorly. Uh-huh. And uh, I just love the show so much. And I love the character so much. I said, yeah, let's go for it. Absolutely. And, uh, and and we watched the scene. We didn't want to watch the whole episode because it would have been oh, out of yeah. sequence, and it would, it would have given spoilers for us. Okay. So we just watched the scene when it was available. Okay. And you know, I mean, Bob well, Odenkirk, he's fantastic. He's awesome. It was great. Yeah, I've binged yeah. both all of Breaking Bad, and we watched Better Call Saul as it came out. So I won't I won't spoil well, don't, anything. Don't tell me the ending. I'm not don't telling you anything. Ending. We're good. <laughs> okay. We'll stop right there. So there are parts of these where we just kind of gush over things we love about the artists that we're hanging out with. So I'm going to bullet point a couple of my favorite things. Jimmy loves Marianne on your second album album subway serenade the bouncy keys work with the killer bunchy guitar and places the smooth vocals weaving out and that wah solo is so funky i love it uh, my favorite camping song i'm gonna call it a camping song that you have is, called, is golden rainbow like i picture myself jumping in a truck and listening to that on the way to a campsite now being from new brunswick new jersey you may not be as as hip on the camp of a southern southern camping but that's my camping jam and, okay. and um, from Stanton, uh, from Stanton Station, you saying that you used to be a railroad man and, and you sing about drinking quite a lot. How much did you have to uh, embrace that character or to get into character as that emb- it feels so natural as you roll that out? So there's three three little highlights. And then I've got some other things here as well. well as we move Well, on. you know, uh, people sometimes ask why uh, Looking Less only stayed together for a couple albums and. Sometimes I think the answer is we were eclectic to the point of schizophrenia. I mean, we had so many styles <laughs> right. on, on one album. If you yeah. listen from Stan Station on the second album, and then you listen to uh, Stan Station on the first album, and Jimmy Lewis Marianne on the second album, or there's a song called Sweet Something on the second album, which is almost like a straight jazz thing. So it's really all over the map, and it was hard to get a handle on exactly what Looking Glass was about. Yeah. But a lot of my songs are like... Um, you know, they're either little stories or character studies. And Stanton Station, I recall, was when we were living up at that house in Huntington County. And there was a town. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's northwestern New Jersey. It's almost Pennsylvania. And it's all woods and pine trees and streams and lakes. It's really, really rural. And uh, there was a train station out there uh, in a town that was actually called White House Station. And it was an old... Uh, old train station that's still, I think, Amtrak ran through there maybe once a day and uh, not on, on weekends or something. It was pretty deserted. And I was out there one day and I saw this old guy sitting there with one of those brown bags in his hand, you know, and he was just sitting there. And I said, okay, what's this guy about? And, and what can I write about it? And, you know, I, like I say, a lot of my stuff is character studies and short stories. And they're usually based on someone or something and uh then i take a pretty wide berth on where i go with it from there that's that's awesome i love the way you write and as a guitar player i do want to brag on your usage of space in songs like you don't overplay as a guitar player me and rob both play guitar you know sometimes we can be a little busy but even in brandy there are moments of space where you're not even playing and you're just letting the vocal and the bass kind of carry it and you do that all through the first album in spots so i wanted to brag on you for that i think that's a uh, uh, something that could, should be admired about you as a guitar player. Yeah, but thank you. I, I, I always, uh, and still, I, I'm more of a, a rhythm or a chord guitar player than I am a lead guitar player. I mean, 
when I do a gig these days, you know, they ask me, uh, uh, well, what do you use? I say, well, any little amp and I don't have any pedals or anything. I just play, <laughs> I play straight through it and I play chords and little licks and most of the licks are stolen from old R&B players like Bobby Womack or, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and that was always the kind of style that I was drawn to. And uh, with Looking Glass, it was great because Larry, who was the keyboard player, um, uh, is still one of my favorite keyboard players. And uh, he filled up so much space so nicely that there was no reason to really fill any more space with a rhythm instrument. So I usually like kind of noodled around it uh, with some of those stolen R&B licks. And that's kind of the sound of it. Yeah, well, you and Larry and Peter and the, Jeff, the whole y'all sound y'all sound great as a unit. Um, well, there's one question we ask everybody. This has been a lot of fun. Um, we let's say you're on tour, um, either with Looking Glass or doing your own solo stuff, um, and you go into a gas station. What is your gas station snack food of choice? And while you're thinking of it, I'll tell you mine. I get a Three Musketeers bar. When I was growing up, my mom would say you could have any candy bar you want, and that's the most ounces. What's a uh, what's Elliot's gas station snack food of choice? I'm not a big junk food guy, but usually it would be a big bag of pretzels. Okay. okay. There you go. Can't go wrong with that. <laughs> Solid choice. Solid <laughs> choice. It'll tide you over till meal, meal time, those pretzels. Exactly. Right. Well, Elliot, this has been fun, man. You're uh, you're actually going to close out our 70s September. Um, we had uh, uh, Joe uh, Bouchard of uh, Blue Oyster Cult, uh, Corky Lang of Mountain, and we had John McEwen from the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band last week, and you're going to be the grand finale, um, and we'll release it uh, next week. So we'll send you, send you the clip, and Hopefully you enjoy it. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, send me the clip. It was a lot of fun talking to you guys. Uh, I am out and about occasionally uh, playing. I have a website where you can find that stuff. Just com. Yeah. You go on there and you'll see what I'm up to. Uh, not too often because traveling is kind of rough on me these days. But um, I'm out and about every once in a while. Yeah, we'll spread the word. Yeah. We'll, we'll have Next time list. you come through Nashville, say, hey, we'll go get yeah. some pretzels. Yeah, look us up. I, I will. I will do that. All right. All right. Thanks, Elliot. Thanks, Elliot. Have been a, a lot of fun, one, man. man. We'll catch yeah. up soon. All right, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. This is the Great Song Podcast. And that was Elliot Lurie of Looking Glass, the man who wrote this amazing song, the number three song of the 1970s. Uh, just incredible. So dope. And what a great way to finish 70s September. It's been fun, guys. Hope uh, y'all like the theme months. We're, we're tapped on theme months for a bit. Yeah, I don't think we have any more coming up right at the moment, but it just so ha- we don't always like, we don't necessarily go hey, let's do an 80s month. Hey, let's do a 70s month. But like we start collecting these I- interviews and episodes. Like, and we like, put these guys together. Yeah, exactly. These be are a f- nice crop. I'm sensing a theme here, um, but it's super fun when it happens and I enjoy it. One day we'll make a super weird one, just a super <laughs> like, I don't know, something either really dark or like <laughs> just super odd. Or maybe, you know what we should do? We should make a contest. That is, okay, these four episodes in the month of whatever all have a theme. If you can tell us what is the thread that connects these four oh, episodes, we'll good. send you something cool. That's neat. Right? Maybe we'll try to we'll try to tie something together in the future on that. Yeah, I like that. We idea. should do that. We cause we might be able to do that with episodes that we already have yeah. somehow, other than like, you know, 
I mean, other than the obvious stuff like what was the decade. It's like the Kevin Bacon thing. Exactly, yes. Yes. Who would be the Kevin Bacon of our show? Like six degrees separated. Of Ronnie James Dio. Exactly, Ronnie James Dio. It would have to be. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Okay. All right, you guys. That wraps up 70 September, but it does not wrap up season 10. As a matter of fact, we will be back next week, the very next week. I don't know if you know how podcasts work, but generally once a week we're putting out one of these episodes. So we'll be back on the next week. And next week is our five-year anniversary. Come on now. So you know we do something epic that we like on bro, anniversaries. Bro. Anniversary. Our guest next week is just out of this world. Insane. Can't wait to bring it to you for the five-year anniversary. What is that? Like the like one year's paper, two year. We should look that up and give each other something. Rock. Five, for us, every anniversary is like the vinyl anniversary. Every, every like, year is rock. Rock the rock anniversary. <laughs> That's right. All right. We'll see you guys next week with another episode of the amazing great song podcast what amazing we'll we'll see you you know you guys are amazing (laughs) and we'll see you next week bye podcast